Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number six of <laughs> A Rebel Without Applause, the Bill Kalmanson podcast. It's my uh, running commentary on that cockeyed caravan called life where, yes, all things are considered. And hopefully uh, my mantra is accomplishment prevails over celebrity, insight over bombast, and where most definitely conventional wisdom is not wisdom. And it's, uh, what's the date? It's August 1st. We're in the dog days of summer. Fires blazing across uh, all of our state. I just uh, tried to start it on a road trip up uh, Highway 395 up the, over, up the eastern ridge of the Sierras. And it was, frankly, uh, like nuclear winter. There was just smoke everywhere. The density uh, of, the, of the haze and the breathing was difficult. So... There was a plot twist. I, uh, after spending one night, uh, camped out at one of my favorite little hot spring retreats up in the eastern Sierras. I can't name it uh, for fear of ruining it, but it's this beautiful little uh, creek and a canyon next to which gurgling hot, almost nearly boiling water comes uh, popping out of the earth and streams down into these pools that are exactly adjacent to this very cold creek that runs out of the uh, eastern watershed of the high Sierra. So I camped there for a night, did the cure in the um, geothermal hot tubs right there. It's a completely natural setting, and the little pools are basically built by these um, just people who, who show up, and it's these little granite rounded uh, rocks that form these pools, and you, you hang in there, and the top pool is the hottest, and each little pool, there's three or four of them, the temperature gets progressively cooler until it returns to the general temperature of the ice-cold, freezing Sierra Nevada stream, which flows out of the um, upper elevation and snow melt. So I was there doing a little fly fishing, but alas, the air quality was um, wasn't really good enough to hang. So I flipped it around and drove six hours back. Uh, and returning here to my cozy confines underneath the sign, and I'm going to re- resume uh, episode number six of what was formerly entitled Bill K's Cockeyed Caravan. But I think I'm going to switch it to A Rebel Without Applause. Uh, both are movie references. A Rebel Without Applause, famously. Uh, my ode to Rebel Without a Cause, Nicholas Ray's uh, wonderful story about disenfranchised suburban kids living here in Los Angeles, uh, the movie that uh, helped elevate James Dean into superstar status, but it also starred Natalie Wood and Jim Balkis. Uh, you might remember him. He was the voice of Mr. Magoo. And uh, the movie, I don't remember the exact year. It was in the 50s, uh, late 50s, and you could feel this... Um, baby boom generation, these suburban beneficiaries of, of all the success that uh, the United States had had in the post-war world. They were living in absolute comfort, yet there was, they were uncomfortable. They were rebellious. They were angry for reasons that weren't exactly obvious, but would go into uh, come into full flower just a few years later in the 1960s. So A Rebel Without a Cause uh, was the movie And A Rebel Without Applause is the podcast. Uh, From here on out, that will be the title. And my little RSS feed uh, will change, and I'm going to relocate it very soon onto a new server as I'm trying to scratch my way into uh, the higher elevations, up the hierarchy of, of podcasting. And why do I do this? Well... 
There's always the simple reason as a merchant of mirth, as a comedian. I guess the main reason is I'm not getting booked and uh, I need the microphone. The microphone is my therapy and I am called to that Torah and I need to speak and here I am. And if there's one core truth, and I've said this before, you've heard it, there's one core truth that's occurred to me is that my need to express <laughs> far outweighs anybody's desire to hear me. So here I am uh, speaking. And if you're, uh, if you, you know, watching, uh, if you have time to watch back episodes of Gilligan's Island on Hulu, maybe you could find uh, 30 minutes to, to join me as I explore the nether regions of my brain. And maybe, just maybe, I can shed. A little light on yours. Besides, um, for me, I just feel that the social moment that we're in, this incredibly dire moment uh, in our political history, to be sure, it sort of demands that we speak. If we want to um, preserve free speech, uh, my the best remedy I have is to speak freely. And one caveat to that is, yes, speak freely and also... Um, Support your local newspaper. And by that, I mean subscribe. Uh, for me personally, I want to sustain the uh, third estate. And the best way to do that is to support it in the way that it needs it most. And that's financially. So I, ha- I maintain two subscriptions, one uh, to the New York Times and the other to my home newspaper, the L.A. Times, both of which I receive only digitally. So I'm not being buried in newsprint daily. I don't have newspaper guys dropping that thud of uh, newspapers every morning outside my door, and then I spend the rest of the day trying to figure out how to dispose of this garbage. No, it comes to me digitally, and um, it's all there, and there's no uh, trees at risk, and our forests uh, hopefully will remain preserved if indeed they don't burn down uh, because we're not consuming uh, that wood for newsprint. So... If you want to support free speech, speak freely and also get a newspaper subscription. That's my my recommendation because the social moment demands it. And, um, well, what is in the social moment, the social second? Well, last night I I saw it on the feed today. They had another uh, KKK rally uh, presided over by the PVP. Um, Putin's vice president down in Tampa, and there was a, a general near physical assault on the media, CNN in particular, the fake purveyor of fake news. And uh, once again, all I could think of was Germany in like 1933, this just absolute assault on the institutions that we need to keep us free. And that's the... Um, the free press, which is under assault, and um, I don't know what to say about that. Other than that, I wanted to um, recommend a couple movies that I think are um, important and sometimes overlooked, but classics nonetheless. And the first of them, and this is a movie to rediscover, I'm sure you can download it or rent it, uh, is Frank Capra's Meet John Doe. It was made in 1941. It was Uh, written by Robert Riskin, who famously wrote It Could Happen One Night, which, frankly, um, that movie sort of 
invented the romantic comedy, the modern romantic comedy as we know it. But Meet John Doe is an entirely different kind of an animal movie-wise. It stars Gary Cooper and Walter Brennan and Gene Arthur. And there's also one of the most incredible performances in movie history by one of those great and little-known Hollywood character actors, James Gleason. He has a monologue that is, I think, the definition of, of... I think the highest form of American patriotism. And I recommend that movie. If he had seen it once, it's worth revisiting. And it, it really speaks to the danger of, um, well, just the rise of totalitarianism. Edward Arnold plays uh, this uh, owner of newspapers and media, and he has ambitions uh, to gain the highest offices. And he looks strikingly familiar to a character that we're looking at every day, the PVP. So I recommend it's a beautiful movie. It's funny. And at the same time, it cuts to some very important social issues that feel more relevant today than ever. And that is Frank Capra's Meet John Doe. Now, Capra, in my view, is one of the, the American masters. Um, but I, I consider Meet John Doe his the peak, the, the, his, him at his absolute pinnacle. And that's not to diminish movies like Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, It Happened One Night. Um, to name a few, I'm sure I'm missing some, but Meet John Doe, uh, to me, represents him at the absolute pinnacle of the powers of social observation, comedy, and also a withering kind of critique on the, the danger of fascism in America. So that movie I wanted to just recommend to people. If, if you haven't seen it, um, go see it, find it. Rent it, whatever. And if you've seen it, look at it again. It's worth visiting. And then this movie, I think, has a companion piece, Meet John Doe. And that is another... And this is perhaps my favorite director. This is also a Warner Brothers movie. Uh, Capra made most of his movies uh, for Columbia, which is just down the street, or was down the street, on Gower. Famously in Gower Gulch. That's where Columbia Studios originated before they moved... Uh, to Burbank, and I don't really know where they live now, but um, yes, uh, Capper made most of his movies at Columbia, and then he this was an exception, which he made it at Warner Brothers, and that was Meet John Doe. And like I said, the companion piece, uh, make a fantastic double feature, is um, Elia Kazan's A Face in the Crowd, which um, stars Andy Griffith. We might remember him from the Andy Griffith show. This was the movie that made him, and he played Lonesome Roads, uh, kind of backwoods, country bumpkin with a guitar and a gift for gab, and he gets discovered in the hinterlands, plucked out of a prison, actually, a jail, by a roving radio reporter named Patri- by, uh, played by Patricia Neal. And the movie also stars Lee Ramick and Walter Matthau in his sort of pre-comedy days before he had found his major love interest in life which was Jack Lemmon and those two became you know great uh the odd couple of movies um this was before them and he plays this frustrated uh, southern Vanderbilt era social observer who's watching this phenomena of this rise of lonesome no lonesome roads from you know the obscure backwaters of the south into the pinnacle of American celebrity and popularity. And once again, that danger of um, 
totalitarianism, uh, authoritarianism, all the isms that are barking at our door on the American scene. They're all in full display uh, by uh, brought to life by Ely Kazan. And, and this movie was, let's see, that was 1957, and it was written by Bud Schulberg. Bud Schulberg also collaborated uh, with Kazan on um, On the Waterfront, another brilliant movie in a different way, but both massively authentic and socially observant and have stood uh, the test of time uh, quite admirably. So A Face in the Crowd, and it's the movie that made Andy Griffith. It, he, it took, I think he'd been in a play called No Time for Sergeants, but when Kazan found Andy Griffith, he literally chewed the scenery. It's one of the great over-the-top but brilliant and truthful American performances. And one of the great things about that movie as uh, someone who's wants to direct movies, who's directed one, is the authenticity of place. You really believe the South. You really believe uh, the world of the television networks, at least in the 50s. And it just feels so authentic and so real and so timely and so cutting in this era of the PVP, Putin's vice president. And we're all struggling under that. And so two recommendations. Uh, Cinema-wise, Frank Capra's Meet John Doe and Kazan's A Face in the Crowd. Not his most famous movie. Uh, You know, there's there's many that we remember more, whether it was uh, Streetcar Named Desire, um, Splendor in the Grass. But A Face in the Crowd, I think, is emerging. You know, it feels more relevant, more timely, and more meaningful than ever. So I recommend seeing that movie uh so there's a couple oldie movie recommendations uh from myself the rebel without applause and what are we coming up on anniversary wise we are now coming up on the 150th year anniversary of the 14th amendment now why is the 14th amendment important well it was one of three amendments that were um somehow miraculously uh, passed uh, in the years after the Civil War, and it remains one of the three major trophies uh, that the, the Northern victory uh, in the Civil War basically yielded the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment. Um, they were at once massively idealistic. The 13th abolished slavery, and that was in 1865 that was passed. And in July of 1868, so that would be 150 years, I think, yes, ago, we have the 14th Amendment, which basically memorialized this into law and the Constitution, and that all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and the state wherein they reside. And no state, meaning California, Oklahoma, can infringe upon that right. That is a federal right guaranteed by the Congress and any any the federal jurisdiction that is guaranteed. And not only did it guarantee citizenship, but these um, that that could not be denied. Um, the freedoms uh, associated with citizenship, citizenship could not be abridged. Uh, or denied to any person within its jurisdiction, and it guaranteed to them equal protection of the laws. And that term, equal protection, has been massively important in follow-up Supreme Court decisions over the intervening decades. And then in 1870, so we're still off on that one, 
for the 150th uh, anniversary is the 15th Amendment, which basically said that uh, ensured voting rights to blacks and uh, Native Americans and uh, previous conditions of servitude could not abridge that right, and the Congress shall have indeed the power to enforce this article by legislation, which paved the way for the Voting Rights Act, the Civil Rights Act, and all the subsequent acts that people had to wait 100 years for, almost 100 years, before um, there was any federal action to actually enforce these new amendments to the Constitution. So at the time, they were really um, false promises, broken promises, but there they were in black and white in the Constitution. It would take, oh, 90 years of Jim Crow and racial codes and all kinds of um, obstructions and terrorism before there was any real progress made towards memorializing uh, those amendments into not only law but practice on the American scene. And now, what do we see? We see those rights uh, being eroded uh, when attacks on the Voting Rights Act and civil rights and just the rise of the PVP has put all these um, gains at massive risk. So because of that, I think it's important uh, to recognize this on the 150th anniversary of the 14th Amendment. Um, and that's just another note. And what happened today? Oh, yes, we had the, the terrible rally, like I mentioned earlier, in Tampa. And the PVP had a tweet storm. He wants that Mueller investigation shuttered, put down, as all his closest confidants now are... Um, turning state's evidence, uh, and the, the Manafort trial is underway. And it reminds me, it's like, a it, since we're talking movies, it reminds me, it's like, I don't know, it's like a cross between Dumb and Dumber and Goodfellas. Uh, <laughs> because as the news gets tighter, uh, these, these little rats are squealing like crazy. They're jumping off the ship. And there's less wiggle room for the PVP as, yes, the noose gets tighter. Now, the one thing I'm not confident about, I'm confident that the truth will out in its full clarity. It's, it's actually self-evident now, as I've said on a few occasions. Um, you don't need to connect the dots because the dots are clo so closely packed together that the picture is self-evident. The corruption is clear as a Surratt pointillistic painting. Uh, you don't need um, you don't need to connect any dots. It's it's pretty clear. So I think we're going to have a sense of the truth if you don't really feel it already. But I don't know if we're going to have the sense of justice. Uh, that the perpetrators will be punished to the full extent of the law. They will be humiliated, as he already is. They will be frustrated. They will be driven to a kind of insane distraction. But I'm not certain that we're going to get that kind of satisfying perp walk moment that I think uh, the PVP deserves. It's not unlike with Nixon. You know, we, we had the satisfaction of his resignation. We had the satisfaction of knowing the truth. We had the satisfaction of seeing the humiliation, but we did not have the satisfaction of a trial and uh, a conviction and subsequent punishment that was uh, prevented, most of us remember, by Gerald Ford. So as my closing thought as we reflect back on uh, 
this little uh, episode six installment of A Rebel Without Applause. And the social moment that we're in, specifically that giant gobbler of brain space, the PVP, my recommendation is this. Give him your attention. Give him your criticism. If you feel it, give him your contempt. Remember what we do now will matter later, but don't. Do all those things for sure, but don't. And I repeat, do not give him your happiness. Hold on to that. Protect it. Defend it at all costs. Because in the end, that's what he wants. He wants the best part of our soul. He wants to take that and crush it in his hands. Don't give him that. And accordingly, yesterday, I had one of those sort of perfect Los Angeles days. It was um, it was hot. The temperature was bubbling in the mid-90s. I couldn't even focus here in my little... Um, in the in the movie studio apartment here. So I did what I always do when my brain space gets clouded and I have a little time on my hands. I strapped my little surfboard, actually a big surfboard, a 10-4 Flowmaster made by Scott Anderson, and I headed out to Malibu, and the waves were raking in just beautifully. We were at the tail end of a big southern swell, And it just seemed like the day and the waves and the water and the crowd just aligned perfectly for me. And I was out there at the top of first point and was able to snag off three or four just beautiful waves from outside all the way into the uh, base of the cove there at Surfrider Beach. One of the really... Um, well, it's it's one of the really sacred spaces for me on earth. It is. People go to church on Sundays. I go to Malibu. <laughs> That's my church. And then from there, after really just a, a wonderful surf session, I got into my car and um, I headed east, uh, back down the PCH. And um, there's a few pursuits that um, I want to get into in subsequent uh uh, podcast about things I'm looking for in LA. And one is the perfect fried chicken. And I was able to, I think, find what I believe to be the best fried chicken in LA. It's called Golden Bird on Crenshaw Boulevard. So I had a fantastic sampling of this Creole guy's little door, storefront place in the hood in, on Crenshaw Boulevard, south of the 10, and I had this great chicken. And then I proceeded to another one of my favorite sacred spaces in LA. That's the world stage for the Thursday night jam session, uh, where I brought my trusted, uh, licorice stick, my clarinet. And I, I played all manner of tunes with, um, the really fantastic resident rhythm section there on Thursday nights at Casey McCoy on piano, Bobby Lee on bass. And, um, People rotating through through the uh, on the bandstand on drums, bass, guitar, what have you. And what did I play? I played Hot House. That was my call. Hot House, uh, which is Tad Dameron tune. Same chords, by the way, as uh, Cole Porter's "What Is This Thing Called Love." So, made for just a perfect sort of late afternoon into the evening uh, Los Angeles kind of experience. Sort of my tribute to Anthony Gold. Uh, who I want to talk about him and Anthony Bourdain next on another podcast, but uh, both of whom recently uh, uh, left us. So that was my answer to the times we're in. I seized back my happiness through things that I love, and uh, that's something you got to do because you can give him everything, but don't give him that. Anyway, thanks again for uh, 
joining me here on the Cockeyed Caravan. I'm your rebel without applause, Bill Kalmanson, and uh, have a good one.